There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Today marks the 55th anniversary of the Loving vs. Virginia Supreme Court decision that legalized interracial marriage on June 12, 1967. I spoke to the creators of the powerful movie Loving when director Jeff Nichols and actor Joel Edgerton visited Washington, D.C. in 2016. Thanks for joining us, guys. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. This movie, it, it was great. It really touched me. I know it, you know, it's been received well at Cannes and everywhere else. But it's going to go down in movie history. You're, you're forever linked with, like, you know, the guess who's coming to dinners of the world. Um, speak in that historical context. That's a movie that's happening sort of in real time, whereas you guys are reflecting back on it. But talk about how it's just as important now almost to remind us how that wasn't all that long ago and how it's, you know, important to have reminders like this, even in 2016. Well, sadly, you know, I think this is kind of happening in, real time as well you know uh issues of equality are, are are definitely not something we've put to bed yet uh in fact i don't think we ever will i think i think these are issues that every generation has to define for themselves and we're in the middle of um a desperate search for a definition of equality for this generation and and i think richard and mildred um just show us the humanity at the center of that that quest you know that that quest for equality so uh, uh, unfortunately, I, I think they're as relevant today as they were in 1958 when they were arrested in 1967 when the Supreme Court decision came down. Yeah. And uh, talk about, like, sort of researching the real-life characters, um, because I know you guys, didn't you base it off a, there's a, there's a documentary you guys used a lot too, right? But talk about how you and, and Ruth Naga got into those real-life people. Well, Nancy Bursky had made a documentary called The Loving Story, which really became the the foundation for all of us uh, to do what Jeff seemed to, you know, be interested in doing um, is to strive for a very authentic um, and accurate portrayal of, of the story, you know, which which meant that it the documentary became a guide for every department, for, for the designers and the hair and makeup department and then for us as actors it was the perfect um, guide I guess for us to step into the shoes of the characters because there's so much archival footage of, of Richard and Mildred and watching them at, at their home and and this is once they've had three children once they're um, once they're living at the king and queen residence later in their life while the Supreme Court case is sort of pending so you know it's a particular time in their life. Then, of course, we had Gravelette's photographs from uh, Life magazine. Strangely enough, the, the photographs captured a little bit more of the intimate essence of the two of them than the documentary crew. I think they were two such shy people. 
Yeah, so the documentary became the big thing. And then, you know, it, it was important to paint the other part of the canvas, which is what were they like when cameras and, and film ca- uh, crews weren't around. Definitely. The thing that I liked so much about it is almost how gracefully understated it is. Um, It doesn't build to a big giant in the courtroom at the Supreme Court. You know, you could have chose to have the cameras in there and had a big Philadelphia or To Kill a Mockingbird type, you know, um, social equality courtroom thing. But instead, you uh, leave that mostly off screen. And instead, we see the family sort of eating, you know, dinner together. Talk about why it's just a matter of factness. Like, of course, these two should be able to get married. And I think as an audience, we've been conditioned to receive stories a certain way. I think we've also been conditioned to receive stories from this period and on this subject matter uh, a certain way. Uh, In this particular instance, that way did not reflect Richard and Mildred's experience. And, And that's what we were really trying to do. And what their experience says is that there are there are human beings at the center of all this stuff, you know. Uh, marriage equality, racial equality. These are these are big social debates, political debates, uh, religious debates. And none of it has anything to do with with the people at the center of them. So since that's what that's what their relationship expresses, it, it made sense to make a film that focused on that detail, that focused on the day-to-day life of these people, the beautiful children that they made together, the beautiful life that they made together in an atmosphere where the society around them was telling them that was wrong. Uh, that seemed to be, you know, the potent um, um, advice that this story was giving us. Yeah, and and along a similar point uh, to you, Joel, as an actor, um, does that sort of matter-of-factness, you know, of, of course we should be married, factor into how you play the character, too? Because there's that, there's that great scene um, where the guy's on the porch, and he's, is there anything big you want me to tell him? He said, yeah, I love my wife. I mean, does that sort of factor into how you played it, too? Well, I mean, as an actor, I, I always, you know, you have a kind of a, 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 um, a radar for uh, things that are, are not authentic. Uh, it's also called a bullshit meter, I think. I, I was just <laughs> not sure if I could say that on a radio station, but now I've said I'm going to say it a no, second time. No, this recorder has a built-in bullshit uh, <laughs> a, be- a, bu- a built-in beep meter. Um <laughs> But I have one of those uh, finely tuned, and what, what what happens when I go against it is I feel very awkward when I'm on set and I'm asked to do things that don't really seem uh, real or true. So you know, when you when you're given a job to just sort of uh, you know be a real person saying real things that ring true. The B meter doesn't go off. <laughs> no, but I, it just felt real. It felt authentic. It felt honest, and and that's what these two characters were. You know, I, I've been handed scripts before where I'm asked to say things that I just know my bones would not really, really honestly, truly have ever been said by a human <laughs> being ever in the history of the planet Earth. Um, and you you push through because that's why we get paid the medium bucks. But um. You know, this was just a very kind of feet on the ground, roots in the ground, um, honest portrayal of two people. And, and that's one of the things that was really attractive about it. Yeah, it's to your point. It's very naturalistic. And I, I love it. It's not it's not, you know, the artifice is sort of stripped away. And it's it's just you're watching real people. Mm-hmm. I love it. Um, you are constantly in between these big, you know, moments in the in the case. Um, you're constantly working on stuff around the house. Uh, you know, you're working on the car. You're, you know, construction laying laying bricks and everything. 
How much of that do you actually know in real life? And how much is that? I'm saying I'm going to pretend I'm working on this car. Well, uh, <laughs> and, and, and what's the point, you know, the purpose of that to your character? You know? Well, I mean, Jeff would probably say the same thing because I've, I've heard him talk about it a bit too, is, is that, you know, it's important to remember and part of the, the authentic portrayal of his story is, and, and is that real, the real life stuff keeps going on while people are dealing with the bigger stuff, and in this case, being, being oppressed by an entire system and, and being kind of checkmated by the law, um, that, it, that it was important to still invite the audience into their home and give them an, an empathetic journey with them, get to know the people, as Jeff said, at the centre of these big issues. Um, and that was their life. I mean, it was on the documentary too. You could see the domestic life of, of these guys. Uh, I, I know very little of... Uh, uh, I used to know my way, my way around old cars, so <laughs> certain issues, not really. But I did go off and learn a bit of bricklaying, which was kind of cool. Um, and it really actually informed a lot about Richard and why he kind of walked and kind of held himself the way he did. And it saved us time on set <laughs> from me going, well, what's, yeah. this, what's this brick thing? What do I do with it? Didn't you build a pizza oven? I was going to. <laughs> Never got around to that. Let's build that myth. Yeah, I built... Um, I've been telling See the church that. across the road? It's a different movie. Pizza versus Virginia. <laughs> oh, that's great. No, but, like, I mean, you, you nailed it. I mean, you're my, remind, my, uh, my own father was a construction worker. My grandpa was a plumber, and, like, you, you just captured it. it. I felt like I was watching them on screen, so hats off. Is there a little bit of a... Um, is there a little bit of a, a metaphor into that too, the, the brick line, like the, the, you know, one on top of two, two on top of three, like that's how you build a wall. And not build a wall as, as in its current political context, but in terms of build, making progress on this. Well, I mean, sure. In fact, as I'm writing this, the, the metaphor is pretty heavy. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's this, this man was, you know, trying to build a home for his family and, and was robbed of the opportunity to do that until the court case came down so obviously you know that's there and as a writer who um you know i loathe cheesiness yeah. uh I, I was you know worried you the bs meter too <laughs> well i guess you could call it that yeah I, you know i was worried that that'd be a hard hard one to swallow but also that's what happened um and 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 that's where i justified it because we didn't make it up for metaphor's sake you know richard was going to work every day and I think I, I just I think that's part of um, real life, but it's also part of the punishment. You know, there's this scene after they are convicted of interracial marriage, the horrors of that. And then um, they are exiled from the state of Virginia for 25 years. And that sentence comes down from Judge Bazile in Caroline County. Then they're forced to go to the county clerk and pay pay the tab. You know, they have to pay for their own exile. When uh, Mildred makes the decision that Richard supports to move back into the state of Virginia and live in hiding under the threat of arrest or much, much worse, the first thing on Richard's mind is, you know, what's the rent on this house that, that we're going to find? So as important as, as all of these events are, they're always punctuated by the reality of money and finances. These were not wealthy people. These were working people. Yeah. And their life never stopped. Their life never stopped because uh, society was attacking them or, or the government was attacking them. The, the guy had to keep going to work. And, 
And that, to me, is as powerful a statement as the metaphor of, of you know, building your home. What's sort of your, you know, what's your approach? Every, every director does it differently, but I, our listeners, and I know young filmmakers, if they hear this, love this, but, you know, are you, are you a storyboarder, more of a shot list, get in the space and, and look at it first, or, or what's your deal with that? Uh, I'm a writer, yeah. and uh, everything for me comes from the screenplay, and everything in the screenplay comes from an outline. So I meticulously outline these things. I use note cards. Uh, so before I start to type any words into a computer, I have a big cork board up in my office, and I have a note card that represents every scene. Different note cards have different things on them, but, uh, but they represent every scene, every moment in the film. And I can sit back in my office, and I can watch uh, the flow of this thing. Uh, I can literally watch the movie on the wall before I start typing. And why I talk about that as a form of directing is because when we, when we take that, um, that equation onto set, um, it can certainly change. There are certainly variables uh, because the complexity of making a film throws nothing but variables at you. But you have this solid equation there uh, at the base of it, and and that's what I, I can give the actors so that when they walk up to me and say 2 plus 2 doesn't equal 4 in this particular moment, yeah. I'm taking this analogy all the way, <laughs> um, then, then you know I, I can tell them how I arrived at that, yeah. at that math. And, and, and so... Um, you know, it, it, it just is this underpinning. It is uh, both a behavioral one for the characters, but also a visual one for me. I can also turn to my cinematographer and say, I think this is where the camera needs to go because this is whose point of view it is in the scene. This is what we're trying to say with this scene. It really informs every part of the directing. We love mud, you know, in Midnight Special, you work together, but what makes what makes Jeff great to work with? Jeff has really strong shoulders. And <laughs> <laughs> he, he doesn't show them often, but every now and then on set, he'll just bust them out. Um, <laughs> nah, he's perfectly, uh, he's the perfect kind of boss. He, he's, a, um, he's, he's an excellent filmmaker. And, uh, you know, all that preparation is not lost on actors. We feel very safe. Um, and he's a supreme, supremely uh, nice guy. Can you tell it's killing me to say this stuff <laughs> while he's while he's listening? <laughs> Stare out the window. A, a, a really great, great person. Yeah. Oh God, that hurts. <laughs> <laughs> that was hard to get out. Well, you guys are on the couch. You can do that. You can retake, We're stage the picture, the, the time, the time photo, or the life photo. <laughs> Thanks so much. It's a great movie. Um, all the best. You deserve all the accolades for it. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time.
I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.